Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, March 8th, 2023 and the end of week 54 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,297 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 378 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, we maintain the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian Ministry of Defense is intensifying. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles, with fewer than 30 caliber cruise missiles used for strikes on Ukrainian targets each month in December, January, and February. Sixth, we maintain that the Russian military has abandoned its efforts to destroy Ukraine's electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure due to a lack of precision munitions and an inability to destroy more than 50% of electrical generation and transmission capacity. We probably don't need to keep repeating this one. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops, quote, made unsuccessful attempts to advance toward, end quote, Kivka. Kharkiv Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Ole Sinyubov 
added that Russian troops were forced to retreat after suffering losses. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian troops in the settlement were shelled, indicating that Russia no longer occupies the town. Based on this information, we adjusted the line of conflict, but until there is official information from the GSAFU, we've coded Hryanikivka as contested. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Fighting continues to be light and limited to positional battles. Based on weather conditions, some older videos which were recently released provided better intelligence enabling our team to adjust the war map. Both combatants describe the situation as stable, and Russian state media reports, mill bloggers, and propagandists have reduced their coverage. There continues to be very little activity in the Svatova operational area. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces shelled Novoselivsky. In the Kremina operational area, positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units continued in the forests and tree lines near the settlements of Ploshanka, Makivka, and Nevsky. An older video confirmed that Russian forces are further west than previously assessed west of Nevsky. We move the line of conflict approximately one kilometer closer to the village based on the new information. At the eastern edge of Chervonopopivka, a platoon of Russian tanks mustering for maneuvers came under artillery fire. A T-80 main battle tank was destroyed and others were possibly damaged. Positional fighting continued in the forested areas south of Kremina. Yet another video recorded before this week showed that Russian forces had been pushed back from Yampolivka. Russian troops attempting to advance along a tree line came under artillery and small arms fire and were forced into a chaotic retreat. The skirmish was a kilometer east of the last visual evidence showing Russian troop locations, so based on this information, we adjusted the map but left the gray area unchanged. It is now the 304th day of fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian forces attacking during the night of March 6th before breaking off their attack. Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhii Haidai reported that Russian troops were forced to withdraw to reconstitute units and pull up reserves. Some assessment here. We are reluctant to declare that the Russian offensive in Luhansk has reached a culmination point because it's unclear how deep Russian reserves are and how far the Kremlin is willing to go to convert Russian Mobik units into Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, quote, volunteers. The sharp reduction in the intensity of Russian attacks has continued for over a week, and the map changes made today were based on older intelligence. There is strong evidence that Ukrainian forces have started pushing Russian troops back from their early February advance past Dibrova and toward Torske, Yampolivka, and Terne. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, positions of the 2nd Army Corps south of Spirna were attacked and cleared by Ukrainian forces, who took at least two prisoners. The garbage-strewn Russian strongpoint had inadequate trenches with no reinforcements, with the last two surviving Russian soldiers hiding in a dugout. Some assessment. The lack of discipline, poor defensive structure, and terrible living conditions 
are partially caused by a lack of non-commissioned officers to provide direction, guidance, and, of course, discipline at forward operating bases. The GSAFU reported fighting near Bilohorivka in Donetsk, but it's possible, in the way the 0600 Hours report was written, that this was a typographical error. No other reliable or semi-reliable source reported fighting in the area, and mercenaries with Wargonzo didn't release a daily report for March 7th. PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Fedorivka and was repulsed by the 93rd Mechanized Infantry Brigade. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner continued its attacks on Zaleznyanske without success and attempted to advance on Rozdolivka. In the Bakhmut operational area, Ukrainian forces have stabilized their new defensive lines and found some success in the southwest part of the city. Yesterday, we reported there were hints that Ukraine could use the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, on a limited basis. Russian sources and a video released today support the reports. Assessment, just a reminder that the situation remains very fluid and could change quickly. Also in the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Orikhovo Vasilivka. PMC Wagner and Russian forces continued to pressure Ukrainian defensive lines around Dubovo Vasilivka, attacking the village 37 times during the early morning yesterday. Ukrainian forces held Russian troops in Yachidne, and there were no reports from any source about fighting in the direction of Bogdanivka or Khromova. Within Bakhmut, multiple analysts confirmed our assessment yesterday that Ukrainian forces had withdrawn from the Zabakhmutka district. Fighting continued, mostly in the southern part of the city, as PMC Wagner consolidated its positions in Zabakhmutka. In southern Bakhmut, fighting continued on the outskirts of the Mariupol Cemetery, with PMC Wagner suffering heavy losses southeast of the graveyard. South of Bakhmut, in the Kostyantanivka operational direction, there was enough evidence, along with multiple reports, that PMC Wagner was pushed as far as three kilometers from the T-504 highway G-lock for us to adjust the map. We moved the line of conflict one kilometer south in some places, taking a conservative approach, and did not adjust the gray area. Fighting continued near Ivanivske, with mercenary mill blogger Rybar reporting that Ukrainian forces could use the G-locks in the Ivanivske area. A video showed Ukrainian forces able to use the road near the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal, which was under Russian fire control as recently as March 4th. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack from Klishayivka was repulsed. Based on the available information, we pulled the line of conflict away from Chasivyar and 500 to 1,000 meters east of the canal. With videos of free movement in the area, our changes may be conservative. Assessment here. Another possibility is PMC Wagner's complaints about ammunition shortages may be more acute than we have been led to believe. There is significant evidence that PMC Wagner lacks man-portable anti-tank weapons, and Ukrainian armor, for the most part, has been able to operate with near impunity for weeks. In an interview with CNN, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said that Ukrainian troops must hold Bakhmut for two reasons. Quote, 
First, if the occupiers take Bakhmut, it will open the way for them to capture other cities in eastern Ukraine. Secondly, the capture of Bakhmut, even if completely destroyed, will increase the fighting spirit within the occupying country. End quote. Obviously, the occupying country he's referring to is Russia. In southwest Donetsk, the 1st Army Corps, reinforced by Mobix, continued its wide-scale attacks across the Avdivka operational area, with concentrated fighting east of the Krasnohorivka Plateau. Russian troops attempted to advance in the direction of Novokalinova and were unsuccessful. Attempts to advance from Kamyanka continued, with Russian forces reaching Vesele, the third Vesele in Donetsk, north of Avdivka. We expanded the gray area to include this Vesele, but did not move the line of conflict. The First Army Corps continued wasteful and pointless direct attacks on Avdivka and suffered heavy losses. Russian troops continued trying to push west out of Vodyana along the northern edge of Pirovomaisky and north toward Sieverne while defending their existing positions. Unrelenting attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky continued with no changes to the line of conflict. A video from Russian sources showed Nevelsky being hit by a Russian airstrike, likely by unguided rockets. Russian officials claim that 15 Ukrainian troops were killed in the attack. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. If you can account for 15 KIA in this video, please email us at tips at malcontentment.com because you clearly have a better eye than we do. In the Marinka operational area, Fighting in the center of Marinka and east of Pobida continued, with no change in the situation. As we mentioned yesterday, a video from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, showed Marinka had been completely destroyed after more than a year of fighting. Despite promises to bring grocery prices under control and end gouging in the DNR, fresh complaints emerged about the price of fresh produce. Bell peppers were priced at 344 rubles per kilogram, that's $2.23 per pound. Remember, the average salary in the DNR is approximately $2,400 a year. A highly skilled professional, such as a medical doctor, makes about $4,800 a year. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In Russian-occupied Volodymyrivka, an R-330 BMV Borisoglebs 2B electronic warfare and signal jamming vehicle was destroyed. The system jams GPS and four other radio frequency bands and was first introduced into the Russian Federation inventory in 2015. This is the 10th visually confirmed unit destroyed since February 24, 2022, with almost half the available inventory out of action, including two units captured. I'm sure the United States Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, in Langley, Virginia, extends its thanks and gratitude. 
in the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 11 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol with no missile carriers. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, uncovered a Russian plot to capture Ochakiv and the surrounding communities in southern Mykolaiv. The mayor of Ochakiv was offered to be, quote, elected to a position if he supported the Russian occupation by an agent of the main directorate of the General Staff of the Armed Forces of the Russian Federation, or GRU. Well, instead of supporting the plot, the mayor reported the grooming attempt to the SBU, which carried out wide-scale raids yesterday, breaking up the GRU cell. In western and central Ukraine and Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 61 fire missions, firing over 360 artillery shells, mortars, grad and smirch rockets, indirect tank fire, and drone-delivered IEDs. The residential areas of Kherson were shelled four times, wounding one. The Bereslav Rayon was heavily shelled, wounding four. Pictures from the Kohovka Dam and hydroelectric power station show Russian troops caused significant damage when they blew up their temporary gravel bridge during their November 2022 retreat. The water leaking through the damaged floodgate can't be stopped until extensive repairs can be made, which won't be possible until Russian troops are pushed further away from the east bank of the Dnipro. The uncontrolled water flow is not permitting the Kohovka Reservoir to capture spring melt and rain, which could have significant consequences later in the year, including in Russian-occupied Crimea. On the Russian front in Moscow, a fire was reported in the Ministry of Internal Affairs headquarters. The damage was not extensive. According to preliminary data, building materials caught fire on the third floor, which is being renovated. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Funerals were held for navigator Ihor Solomenikov, age 22, and pilot Viktor Volintz, age 55. The pair were shot down during a combat mission in the Donbass by an air-to-air missile. Ukraine is developing a DNA database to help identify dead service members. Since July 2022, over 3,000 Ukrainian remains have been identified using genetic information from 16,000 people. Belarus claims they captured a Polish drone and have the operators in custody, who they accuse of being in Belarusian territory. Poland has not commented, and Belarus has not provided evidence beyond a drone photo. The potato prince and self-declared dictator of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, said that the country had detained more than 20 people allegedly involved in the explosion of the A-50 aircraft at the Matjulishchi military airbase. He claims the ringleader holds Ukrainian and Russian passports and lives in Crimea. He said the drone attack lightly damaged the A-50U AWACS aircraft and that Russian VKS swapped the aircraft out. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine rejected Lukashenko's accusations. After months of delays, Hungary appears poised to vote on ratifying NATO membership for Sweden and Finland. The vote may be held on March 20th, 
leaving Turkiye as the only nation that has not ratified the Nordic nation's integration into the defensive alliance. Ukrainian officials confirmed they have received and have started using JDAM-ER smart bombs that can glide up to 72 kilometers to their target using GPS for targeting. It's been 24 whole days since Ukraine utilized emergency power stabilization procedures. In a sign of perseverance, the streetlights in Kharkiv were turned on for the first time since February 24, 2022. United States Congresspersons Jason Crow and Adam Smith reported that Ukraine has asked for cluster munitions that can be used for drone strikes on Russian troops. Cluster munitions are banned in 123 countries. However, only the United Kingdom is a signatory among the world's top five militaries, being the United States, China, India, Russia, and the UK. Ukraine is also not a signatory of the ban. While not illegal, the use of cluster munitions in modern warfare is legally complicated and provides a greater risk for future unintended injuries after a conflict is over. Quick assessment, it is highly unlikely that cluster munitions will be provided to Ukraine by the United States because of the legal complexities. Poland confirmed that 10 more Leopard 2 main battle tanks would be transferred to Ukraine by the end of the week, raising the number to 14, enough to support a company. Claims on March 6th, which we did not report, that the Patriot missile system was already in Ukraine were untrue. The report was caused by a mistranslation of a statement by the Polish Minister of Defense, Mariusz Blaszczyk. We hesitated to include this in yesterday's report because the training of Ukrainian troops is still ongoing. Minister of Defense of Ukraine, Alexei Reznikov, said that Ukraine needs aircraft capable of becoming an element of air defense, saying, quote, This is why the F-16 fighter platform is a priority compared to the outdated A-10 Thunderbolt attack aircraft, end quote. Quick sidebar, David, our chief content officer, adores the A-10 Thunderbolt. He's pretty salty right now about his favorite airplane in the United States inventory being called outdated. Speaking of outdated, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. In the 113th documented attack since September 21, 2022, the Russian commissariat office in Murmansk was hit by a Molotov cocktail. The damage was light. The attack happened while two police officers who were supposed to guard the office were napping. Stealth mobilization continued in Russia. A video from Rostov showed uniformed military personnel wandering the streets supporting the local commissariat and forcibly issuing summons to military-aged men. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The United States State Department condemned the apparent execution of a Ukrainian prisoner of war by Russian forces. Ned Price, U.S. State Department spokesperson, said during a press briefing, quote, 
The harrowing imagery of this unarmed Ukrainian being executed after making the simple statement of glory to Ukraine is just breathtaking in terms of its barbarity. Russia, we believe, should be ashamed of itself. Unfortunately, it probably will not be the last. A tally that our Ukrainian partners are maintaining of potential war crimes or atrocities now has tens of thousands of instances on it. End quote. Irina Vereshchuk, Minister for Reintegration of the Temporarily Occupied Territories of Ukraine, said that as of March 7th, quote, less than 4,000 people remain in Bakhmut, including at least 38 children, end quote. Vereshchuk added that it is very challenging to rescue civilians due to the continued heavy shelling and the remaining residents confined to basements, making it harder to locate them. Evacuations are still ongoing. There was global outrage when graphic images showed a 12-year-old killed by Russian shelling on January 31st. A general evacuation order was issued on August 6, 2022 in Donetsk, with up to 25% of the population ignoring the order. The Cabinet of Ministers approved new rules in response to the crisis, enabling officials to evacuate children from active combat zones. The decision for a mandatory evacuation will lie with the military and administrative governors and with agreement from military command and the coordination headquarters on the mandatory evacuation of the population. The evacuation of a child will be done with the accompaniment of at least one parent, a person who replaces them, or another legal representative. On the border of Sumy, 130 Ukrainian service members were exchanged for 90 Russians. The head of the office of the president of Ukraine, Andriy Yermak, said, quote, We managed to bring 130 of our people back home, 126 men and four women. These are soldiers from the armed forces of Ukraine, members of the National Guard, the State Border Guard Service, and the State Special Transport Service of Ukraine. End quote. Among the released were 87 defenders of the city of Mariupol, including 71 from the Azovstal plant. Another 35 who were captured near Bakhmut and Solidar were also returned. Russian POWs captured after September 20, 2022 could face up to 10 years in prison for violating new laws added to the Partial Mobilization Decree, which make surrender illegal. In geopolitical news, mass protests erupted in Georgia after Parliament passed a draft law declaring non-governmental organizations, or NGOs, and news organizations receiving less than 20% of their funding from Georgian sources as foreign agents. The laws are similar to the Russian Federation's restrictions on NGOs and outside media. President Salome Zurabishvili, who's on a state visit to the United States, vowed she would veto the initiative and is flying back to Tbilisi. The measure is considered a death blow to Georgia's aspirations for European Union membership if signed into law. Protesters were unmoved, and were attempting to storm Parliament through clouds of tear gas and water cannons. Marching in the streets by the thousands, protesters hurled insults at Russian President Vladimir Putin as the situation continued to escalate, with some protesters throwing Molotov cocktails. Protesters then started to break down anti-riot fencing around Parliament before dispersing, 
leaving anti-Russian and anti-Putin sentiments on the walls and pavement of area buildings. U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price said, quote, Today is a black day for Georgian democracy, end quote and vowed that the State Department would apply sanctions against those responsible for the suppression of protests. Russian propagandists were twisting Price's statement, falsely claiming that the United States announced that they were prepared to help break up the protests. There were protests again today, and more protests are expected tomorrow. In economic news, the ruble fell to an exchange rate of 77 for one U.S. dollar, battered by continued demand destruction due to reduced demand and price caps on Russian oil, gasoline, and natural gas. The Russian currency is at its worst exchange rate since April 23, 2022. West Texas intermediate crude slid to $77 a barrel, and Brent dropped to $83. Russian Ural's crude fell to an official price of $61 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline also declined, with the price on the spot market dropping to $2.71 a gallon, or $0.72 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures remain stable and in a narrow trading range, with April and May contracts at €44 Euros per megawatt hour. Just a heads up, we will stop reporting European natural gas futures pricing on March 30th due to the end of winter and ongoing price stability. Chicago SRW wheat futures declined, trading at $6.93 a bushel for May 2023 delivery, the lowest price since April 2021. Russia is threatening not to renew its participation in the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which is set to expire on March 18th. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres is in Kyiv to discuss with President Zelensky, quote, all aspects of the current deal. Maria Zakharova, a spokeswoman for the Russian Foreign Ministry, said that the current initiative, which does not block the shipment of Russian fertilizer and food exports, is complicated by other sanctions that limit payment types and sources of insurance. Turkish officials said they were also working on extending the deal. Russia suspended its participation in the Black Sea Grain Initiative on October 30th after a drone attack on the Black Sea fleet in Sevastopol. Ukraine, supported by the United Nations and Turkey, ran the informal Russian blockade, with Moscow ultimately not blocking ships departing and arriving. Three days later, the Kremlin announced they were rejoining the initiative. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.